welcome to the Top Advisor Marketing Podcast brought to you by Proudmouth. I'm your host, Matt Halloran. Being your own loud is not new to marketing, but the mindset, strategies, and resources to help you get there are evolving faster than this industry is keeping up. It is time to find a new perspective on what works why and how to move your business forward. Listen as I interview guests to help you learn from them how to be your own loud. Let's get to the show. Hello and welcome to another Top Advisor Marketing Podcast. I am your host, Matt Halloran. You know, I had a hot list of people who I wanted to get on this show, and I've really ticked a lot of boxes. Uh, but my guest today was one who was in the top five, and we just have not been able to get together to get this recorded, mostly because he's so sought after speaking at conferences and hanging out with people and providing advice uh, that we finally were able to go ahead and get it today. So Carl Richards is my guest today. Carl, welcome to the show. Thanks, Matt. Um, yeah, it's it's been something I've been waiting. I'm like, when's he going to ask? Like, what's the deal? How long does this take? So I'm super jazzed to be here. We scheduled this just so everybody knows. We scheduled this two and a half months ago. Uh, and finally, our, our calendars lined up because you're on the road all over the place. Now, I, I know that you've probably done this elsewhere, but I'd really like to just take a moment. Can you give everybody a brief kind of synopsis of your story, because I think a lot of people know the Carl Richards we see today, but I don't think they necessarily understand the journey that you've been on to get to where you are. Yeah. I mean, look, I, the short version of it is I, there was no grand plan and, and I could tell you a hundred stories that demonstrate that, but I'll just tell you a few real quick. I applied to be a security guard. That's what I thought I applied to be. It turns out the ad said securities. I didn't know the difference. I got the job, which tells you a lot about the applicant pool. So that's how I got into the field. That was in 95. And I remember shortly thereafter, 97, 98, 99, the tech bubble. At that point, I, I had my own clients. And I just remember feeling like, wait, after I got over the fact that I wasn't a security guard, I was like, this is a math job. This is, that's what this is. It's a math job. So spreadsheets and calculators. And then 97, 98, 99 came around and I was like, whoa, this is not math. Why are all these people, for those of you who've only read about it in the history books, that was sort of what we now refer to as the tech bubble and or the dot-com bubble. And it was all sorts of craziness and amazing things happening. Amazon and um, the early days of, what was the name of that crazy route? Netscape you know, Cisco and Intel and all these things. It was all crazy. And I just remember being struck early, early on by um, the fact that this wasn't a math job. It was behavior. These were dreams and goals and worries. And they kept people up at night. So I had my own clients trying to sort of sort out, like, how do we help them behave correctly? And then I worked at a big brokerage firm at the time, which will go unnamed, but has a bull as its symbol and is owned by a bank. And I shortly after working there for a while, which was amazing, by the way, like I have zero bad. My experience was incredible. I had great managers. I had people who, great mentors who taught me a lot. Um, after a little while of that, I, I left to start my own firm, my own RIA. And I left, I mean, this is almost comical now, but I left because I really wanted to be in a position where I could tell everybody I was a fiduciary. Because I was acting like one already. But I wanted to be able to tell everybody it was one. And my greatest disappointment in life 
was when I was able to tell everybody I was a fiduciary and no one cared. Right. Like, and, I, and I'm not, I'm not arguing that they should, or they shouldn't care because we all know they should, but they don't because they don't know what the word means. And they thought you were already acting that way. And they don't, it's all inside baseball. So anyway, I leave to start my own RA firm. And about that time I was, I just had this experience repeatedly where clients would come into the office and I was explaining something to them. I was trying to do a really good job and they were smart, intelligent clients. I actually can remember who the first ones were that I I did this thing. They one was an ER doctor, and she was a techno a really technical sales rep. So they were both super smart, successful, and they just had blank stares on their faces. I was describing something, and I can't remember what it was. And in an act of total desperation, I did something I'd never done before. There was a whiteboard in the conference room I used to use. And I stood up and grabbed a pen and was like, no, like this. And drew like a square with an arrow and a circle. And I, I, as I recall, it was accumulation and decumulation. I was trying to demonstrate, we're going to be saving, saving, saving. And then we'll use this account to live, live, live. And I drew it. And they were like, oh, oh, now I get it. And I just was like, what? That's so interesting. I was never a doodler. I have no art skill, as should be obvious. And... That led to, I was like, oh, and then I like, I had more experiences with that. And one day somebody called me after a meeting and said, hey, that thing you drew on the whiteboard, would you draw it on a piece of paper and scan it and send it to me? I mean, we had just gotten past courier pigeons. So like we had email. So I, I like, I scanned it. And when I saw it digitally, like I sent it to somebody and I saw it digitally. I was like, oh, I could send that to other people. And this is about the time blogs started showing up. So I started a little blog called behaviorgap.com. It was originally called emotional, emo, the emotiongap.com, but I changed it to the behaviorgap.com. And then, um, then I just, every time I had a question more than once, I would write it, the answer, and then I would try to illustrate it. I kept doing that. No one was listening. Like my mom and my sister, I'm almost positive my sister was lying. So like, it was just my mom. I just kept putting it up, kept putting it up, kept putting it up. And like, over time, people started paying attention. And I, I don't know why, like, I, and then a lucky thing, a guy named Kent Garlish, who I, I need to be sending a gift to every year. I didn't know Kent. Kent sent an email to the editor of the New York Times and said, hey, you might like this. Kent didn't know the editor of the New York Times. He didn't know me. And I now know the editor really well. And we're good friends. And I've asked him, why did you open that email from Kent Garlish? He's like, I don't know. He's like, and on top of that, why did you click on the link? Because he gets hundreds of these emails a day from people like us that want our content to be seen. He's like, I don't know. And that led to him saying, hey, I love these. Would you consider doing them for us? And I knew from my security guard background to say yes and figure things out later. So I was like, sure. And that led to the column running in the New York Times, which we eventually, they eventually named the sketch guy, which my teenage daughters were not happy about. But they, the, the sketch guy that ran weekly for 10 years, that was my, about five years in, I was like, can I make it 10? And we made it 10 almost to the month. And then I, I pulled the plug on that. And that column led to a bunch of books. And so somewhere in there, 2012, I was like, I got a choice, have a successful business highly optimized for the happiness of the clients and the person who works there. So it was a 
full on unashamed, proud lifestyle business. Like I don't, you come at me all the time if you want with that cute little lifestyle business stuff. And I'll remind you, I'm skiing on Thursday. You only ski on vacation. You know, like I'm super cool with it. So I had this beautiful lifestyle business and increasingly writing and speaking. And, and one day I was like, I came home to my wife. I'm like, man, I don't think I should ever sell this business. And she said, Hey, we've always thought of it as a security blanket. Maybe it's an anchor right now. So made a decision to sell the business, which was my second great disappointment was nobody cried, but me, you know, like I, I thought the clients would all cry. Nobody did. And that was 2012. And so, yeah, I've been just doing sort of speaking, writing, teaching, thinking for a living for the last 11 years. So from the time that you drew the first thing on the whiteboard to the time that you got that really what we call escape velocity, that launch into the stratosphere with the New York Times, how long was that period? Yeah, that's a really good, I don't know, but it was definitely years because I can't even remember. I want to say, I, I have an email actually that I show in all my presentations. I just can't remember the date. I want to say 2009 was, well, let's think about this, if 2000. 10. Yeah, I think it was 2009-ish when the Times thing happened. I mean, it was two or three years of of wandering in the wilderness. We talk about this a lot, Carl, that, that there, there's a continuum of things that you have to do behaviorally in order to become more influential. And you are at that apex in financial services of an influencer, right? People know who you are. You know, you've got your drawings on your screen there. I actually, as a non-financial advisor, have a couple of your drawings that I actually show to people all the time talking about how you have to take really complex things and make it understandable because in the world of content creation, financial services professionals very quickly default to talking and jargon and crap. And nobody wants to consume that they want easy, simple, understandable. And you have really created entire brand, right? That is all about helping advisors communicate things very easily and understandable, but with very interesting emotional components. And I want to move the conversation that way because behavior gaps, so we're talking about behavior and the decisions that clients make and your job as a financial services professional is to sway them to make better financial decisions. When you're drawing or when you're conceiving of these ideas through all of the things that you're doing right now, how are you infusing the actual behavioral, the behavioral principles into your work and what you teach advisors? I don't, the honest answer is I don't know. And that's the same answer to like, you know, to wrap up what we were talking about, like all I knew back then was that I was compelled to keep doing this publicly. Or like I, I didn't have a choice. I tried to quit, honestly. Like I, it's like, it was like an addiction. I tried to quit three or four times. I had interventions. Like just focus on building your financial firm. Like why are you drawing in the corner with a Sharpie for heaven's sake? You don't even know what you're doing. And I tried to quit. So the only thing I really know about that experience was that uh, there's a term luck surface area, like increasing luck surface area. I often refer to it as just playing in traffic. If you just play in traffic, like there's a chance you'll get hit. Now there's a chance you won't. And I don't know what the difference is between those because it's certainly not quality. Like I, like I know people who do much better work that have never been seen by anybody and, and they've done much better work in public for long periods of time. And so I don't know how to sort that out at all. 
I just know that if I don't play in traffic, I'm surely not going to have an opportunity to make an impact. That's all I know. So when it comes to the behavioral stuff, I just notice things a lot. Like I, I and I feel things a lot. Like I, I'm super, I have a really, I, I do a lot of things. I'm not very good at a lot of things, but one thing I'm pretty good at is like, I have a pretty broad emotional range. And so I can feel things. And when I feel things, I have this face I make, which is like, I call it the huh face, which is like, and anytime the huh face shows up, I'm like, oh, what's that? What's that? And then then that will work for like, in some cases, a decade. Like I can give you an example of a sketch that there's an idea that really bothered me for a decade, right? And I, I could tell you exactly which one it was. And, but often it's a couple of years, sometimes it's a day. And and so between that and like, I enjoy talking to people who think deeply about those subjects. So it's sort of like you're reading, thinking about that. Then if a financial advisor just paid more attention to the things they're already doing, if this isn't you ever, and you've been doing this for a long time, you're telling the same story, which is, hey, you're already creating quote unquote content. It's just in your head and you don't realize there's a bunch of reasons why you don't realize, A, you don't realize you have it and B, you don't think it's valuable and we could break either one of those down quite a bit. And there's some legitimate and I have deep empathy for both of them. But I just got a little better at noticing and I've always been a storyteller and somebody who exaggerates a lot, you know, like, like, and, and so I can tell you great stories from high school and I'll have buddies that were in the room when that story happened. And they'll just be like, bro, what are you, I don't, that's not even the same experience I had. So I'll notice things a bit more. And I'll, I'll I guess the last bit I'll say on this is I, I, I call it looking for the crunchy bits. It's a little bit from my New Zealand experience, the crunchy bits, but like when things get emotionally resonant, like, oh, there's a feeling like you could think of it as like, I could cut it with a knife, like any of those sayings, like, oh, that to me is like a pure gift from heaven saying, there's something to pay attention to here. Now, if you can put words on it, that would be really cool. Because a lot of people are probably feeling that right now. They just don't know what to call it. That's kind of what I think of as my job. But I also think that the way that you get there is by doing something that we really believe that most advisors should do more often, which is shut the hell up and just listen, right? And listen to listen, don't listen to respond. When you have a high EQ, emotional quotient or emotional intelligence, that listening is easier to do. But in my experience, when I'm speaking, one of the first things that I'll ask an audience is, uh, you know, how many people have had clients cry in their office and everybody raises their hand, right? I mean, everybody has. And then I say, how many people feel comfortable with it? And like three quarters of the hands go down. And then I say, okay, out of you, how many of you tap them on the shoulder and say, it's going to be okay or hand them tissue? And then everybody's hands stay up. And, and that's when I say, okay, that's the worst thing that you should do. And I bring that up in this situation because this sort of emotional intelligence, this ability to listen, this ability to have that level of perception is a muscle that can be trained and has to be practiced. There are some people like you who are naturally inclined to do it, but unless you're practicing it, you don't actually become as excellent as you should. At the Orion event this year, uh, the CEO of Orion was on stage uh, and he said, 
in client meetings, as per the latest research study, 80% of the time, the advisor's talking. How do you learn what you're talking about, Carl? How are you learning to listen about those emotional things? How are you really truly communicating complex things in simple ways? And how are you really connecting with the client when 80% of the time you're talking at them? Yeah, I, I really intentionally practiced that. I used to I used to have two rules that I played around with. One was I couldn't ask anything in the first meeting that didn't end with a question mark. And you, you, you never quite get there, but it's just a nice goal to pull you from where you are. And then the other one was I in an hour long meeting, I want to be talking five minutes. And I used to I used to actually record with permission. I would ask clients if I could, hey, have you ever seen a movie twice? Yeah. Did you see something you didn't notice the second time? Yes. I, I don't want to, I, so I can be totally focused on you, Matt, during our first meeting here. I'm going to record this. It's for internal use only. And as soon as we get a transcript of it, we'll delete the audio file. Is that okay? Yes. Great. Boom. Hit record. One of the things I would do with that recording, and I only had to do it a couple of times, was I would have somebody else listen to it with a timer. And every time I opened my mouth, they started the timer. And every time they closed it, they stopped the timer and they added it up. And I was like, the goal was that should add up to be five minutes. And again, I think that's probably pretty dramatic, but it, it was a nice target. And when the first time I did that, I was shocked. It was like 45 minutes. Like I was out of an hour, I was talking for 45 minutes. And so really intentionally practiced. And then the other thing I practiced even now, which is why podcast interviews are always so uncomfortable for, well, they're not comfortable. They're not supernatural in the sense that I, I actually have a bazillion questions I want to ask you. Like, and I, why you were talking. That's tough, brother. That's for your show. I know why, why you were talking. I was like, Oh, that's really, (laughs) did you just say that? I want to go back to the handing somebody tissues and patting them on the shoulder. But that's just because I've trained myself to be looking for the crunchy bits. And if there's anything that's I'm curious about, that's like, if I had to sum it up, it's like just foster curiosity, like practice. And you you get so, I mean, if you have kids, you have endless opportunities to practice. And I, I really, I've learned like I, and I just wish, I mean, I almost get emotional about thinking about it. I just wish we could all learn. Like, have you ever had this? I know you've had this experience. If you've ever had the experience of being listened to and like, I used to call it a a ninja trick, a ninjutsu trick. That's ninja plus jujitsu, where I practice this at conferences. People will come up to me all the time like, Carl, I've just got a question that I know you can help me. And if I can remember to be like, okay, practice the ninja trick. I will just say, absolutely. Tell me about what's the question. Oh, what have you tried? Oh, how did that work? What, What did you think of? Oh, that's interesting. What what did you make of that? And about 10 minutes into that, somebody will reach across and grab my arm and go, oh my gosh, you helped me solve it. And I will have said nothing. And I, I, it never fails. And it doesn't fail with my kids. It doesn't fail with my wife. It just never fails to be like, oh, that's, what did you, because most of the time, so I, I think practicing that and taking a chance, my wife challenged me once. I was going on a trip to New York. It was when the book was just written. I was going to be on a bunch of TV shows. And it, and she's like, see if you could talk less. And I was like, well, I'm going like, like they're there to hear me talk. And she's like, just see. 
And every time I did it, it went better. So practice. Hey, it's Matt here jumping in for just a second. Hey, if you want to go from being the seeker of clients to being sought after, then influence is your answer. It's the only marketing that's left today for advisors. But how much influence do you have right now? Well, to find out, take our free five-minute test and get a scorecard that reveals and ranks your level of influence. Just go to proudmouth.com to start. Going through media training with Jason Lahita, who now runs Street Cred. And uh, he said, every time you talk to the press, it should be three minutes or less. 90 seconds is better. And I was like, whoa, talk about a challenge, right? And so very recently, uh, we had just launched this partnership with FICOM, uh, right? So they're an amazing PR firm and we're doing some cool podcasting stuff with them. And I'm being interviewed by the journalist and they would ask me a question and I would answer the question and then I would stop. And would you want to keep going? No, I said what I was, that's what I needed to say. And I'm giving you time to catch up. And they're like, damn, you've done this before. So here, here's the deal, Carl, my, my favorite thing, I love interviewing people. This is my happy place, right? But when I'm on other people's podcasts, I'm in the exact same situation you're in because I feel like, dude, I'm talking so much right now when I used to be the one who just asked questions. So I want to get back to this idea of behavior because you and I haven't had a lot of time to talk about this offline, but we've built this marketing mindset behavioral analysis called the influence readiness score. And the idea is for advisors to actually hold a mirror up to themselves and seeing if they're doing the right behaviors and have the right mindset to become more influential because we believe influence marketing is the only marketing left that works. You have achieved what we refer to as celebrity on our influence continuum. You've achieved escape velocity. People know who you are. They seek you out. You have fans of what you do. If you were to give advisors any sort of advice on what they could do to accelerate their influence so that they stop being the best kept secret in their area and people actually start being attracted to them, what would you say? Yeah, I, it's actually super simple, not to be confused with easy. And I think if I was thinking of from an advisor perspective and my goal was to have influence in terms of grow my business. And then maybe once I've filled my business, whatever that means beyond that, uh, I would get really clear about the unique problem that I'm interested in solving. The shortcut to that problem is an occupational niche. It doesn't have to be, but it's a shortcut to that problem. So I'd get really clear about Seth Godin's two questions. What is it? Sorry, what does it do and who is it for? It's probably reverse. Who is it for and what does it do? I get really clear about that. So the way that looks is, let's say that I'm in a community with a lot of, for some reason, I know a lot of architects that own their own firm. I would interview a bunch of those architects and every single one of those interviews I would use as content. And if I was comfortable, as, as soon as I could get comfortable, I would make those interviews into podcasts. But even before that, I would take those interviews in the moment I, and the interview would go like this. Hey, Matt, I'm trying to understand the unique challenges that architects that own their own firms face the unique. And I would insert financial planning, wealth management challenges that architects that own their own firms face. Can I, and I know that you have insight into those challenges because you are one or because you work with them as an attorney or an accountant. Could I just buy you coffee and ask you questions for 15 minutes? 
I would go ask the questions, you know, what are the biggest mistakes that you see people make? What are the strengths? What are the weaknesses? What opportunities do they have? What do you wish you'd learn? Who else should I talk to? Like, I've got a whole list of those questions. And then as soon as they left, I would jump on my phone with my voice memos and I would record my thoughts and I would do that. And then I would take those thoughts and I would turn them into tweets and I would turn them into, and then I would ask like, what do you listen to? You know, oh, I listen to this podcast. Do you belong to any associations? Do they have a journal? Oh, do you know the editor there? And so then I would be looking for ways to get those the, that content in front of more of those people. Really clear architects that own their own firm with 10 or few employees. Entrepreneurs that have had a successful exit over 10 million. Radiologists because they're lunchbox doctors. They have no plant and equipment. They show up, do their shift, they go home. Radiology, anesthesia, and ER are all three lunchbox doctors. So whatever it is, I would I would be really clear about what is it what does it do and who is it for? What does your service do and who is it for? And the scariest part about this is the narrower you make it, the better. And the reason I would, I don't even know how to talk about marketing without that. I don't even know without that because the problem is everyone doesn't exist. And there's so much noise. The key, I think the key to impact is relevance. And the only way to be relevant is to talk to a specific group of people. And so that, that if I were trying to be relevant, I would, that's what I would do. We call that rising above the noise to be your own loud, right? So that, that's the proud mouthy and language that, that we use here. All right. If somebody wants to find out a little bit more about, about hiring you as a speaker, buying your books, joining any of your programs, you providing education and mentorship, what's the best way for them to reach out? Uh, go to the societyofadvice.com. Just search for dragons would be another way you could do it. But go to the societyofadvice.com is the easiest way to find me. And follow you on Twitter because, man, your Twitter presence is magnificent. Oh, All right. You. So my final question for you is, is, is my favorite question to ask in every one of these podcasts, which is, what should I have asked you that I didn't? Yeah, it's, it's a lovely, like just super generous question. And I, I mean, what first comes to mind is why? Why do you care so much about this work? That's what first comes to mind. <laughs> oh, so you want me to answer the question that you didn't ask? All right, take it away. Yeah, listen, I care deeply about this work because the secret is I don't care. Like I don't, I, I'm tempted to use farm language here. I don't give a, uh, I don't give anything about money. Like I don't, I don't care at all. I just got tricked here by applying to be a security guard, you know, and the reason I've stayed is because I think it's one of the fastest ways into what really matters. And I think maybe second only maybe to health. And so the reason I care is because the people like I'm pointing out my window, the people out there aren't feeling any better about their relationship to money. And I know the stress that, I mean, I just, I just like every day just had a conversation with a friend who had a really good friend recently more than take his life if that's possible without, without going into details. And it was financially related. And I think the listeners of this podcast have the opportunity if we could just stop hacking at the branches around asset allocation and which injury, like whatever, like I, what I want to know is like, why does this really matter to you? And if we can get people to have those sorts of conversations, we may have a chance 
we may have a chance at like actually changing the world, which is fascinating. So that's that's why I care. I, I care because there are humans in pain. A lot of that pain can be traced to financial stress. I don't know as of right this present moment, I don't know of any other way to deal with that than a, a compassionate, empathetic human. You know, I mean, Matt, I will tell you one thing that's super interesting to me. I've been like you, like I've been trying to, I've been trying to shine a light. I don't know that train or teach is the right word, but I've been trying to shine a light on this idea that we need to be compassionate, empathetic. And it turns out it's really hard. And I've always said like, that's will never be replaced because human empathy. Well, I, we need to get a little better at learning how to do it because it turns out there's a counterfeit that's getting really, really good, even at the empathy piece. And so I just, I, I, there's still something uniquely human about empathetic financial advice. And I think we're getting a little fire under our tails to say, Hey, we better get better at understand. First of all, doing it like, like you talked about curiosity and empathetic empathy and having an emotional IQ better we get better at doing it. And then we better get better at doing it publicly so that people know where to find us and aren't confused by of what's becoming a very, very, very good imitation, you know, in the form of AI is super fascinating to me. So I, We've got a shot here is all I'm saying. That's why I care deeply. So thanks for asking. As with you, we do too. And we firmly believe that you need to be able to communicate who you are, what you do, and what makes you unique and different when it is convenient for people to consume your content. The point in time stuff that financial services have been doing with seminars and webinars and client meetings and all of the sorts of client events, all of those have a place. But if you're truly going to change and start educating the general public to help them make wise financial decisions, to make real connections with their money and the meaning that money has in their lives, we believe that you need to do it at scale. And if you want to do it at scale and you want to learn how to do that, very, very easily, you can join the Pod Rocket Academy for free, by the way. It is free. Just go to proudmoth.com and you can sign up to take our free five-minute behavioral assessment. It takes five minutes, about 20 questions. It's going to show you some gaps in your mindset and also in your marketing that's stopping you from being more influential. So for Carl and all of us here at Proudmouth, this is Matt Halloran. We'll see you on the other side of the mic very soon. Thanks for listening to the Top Advisor Marketing Podcast brought to you by Proudmouth. If you want to know more about how you can be your own loud, visit us at proudmouth.com and sign up for the Pod Rocket Academy. Through courses and office hours led by professional podcast producers and digital marketers, you will learn everything you need to know to become the trusted subject matter expert you were meant to be.